I was like, well, I guess I would, you know, just go to work and, you know, kind of train and stuff. She's like, well, what are you training for? I'm like, well, to, to race, right? <laughs> and it was just one of those very profound but simple things that just she pointed out to me. And I ended up doing that whole trip with Sandra and that was fantastic. Welcome to the Canadian Cycling Magazine podcast. I'm Matthew Piaro. You just heard from Jen Jackson. I'm sure you know Jen Jackson. She races cross-country at the World Cup level. She digs cyclocross. She's a bike mechanic. She sometimes bakes cookies and hands them out at events. And she's all around into bikes. I spoke with Jackson not long after she returned from her second trip to Europe this year, where she had raced the Cross-Country World Championships and the Lenzerheide World Cup. She was at her home in Horseshoe Valley, near Barrie, Ontario, for a bit. Now, as this episode is coming out, she's getting ready for the final World Cup of the season in Snowshoe, West Virginia, and then is on to cross-country nationals. It's been a long season for Jackson. My favorite line from my discussion with Jackson actually came after I stopped recording, but it really sums things up well, so I'll repeat it. Quote, I think I enjoy myself really deeply when I'm doing things, but I also reflect very deeply. Unquote. In this episode, Jackson does reflect on the season to date, its ups and downs, and her feeling that her performances seem to have plateaued. Jackson has a lot of respect for Canada's tradition and strength in the field of cross-country mountain biking, but she's concerned as things seem to be waning when it comes to results. She feels an internal pressure to carry on the legacy of riders such as Catherine Pendrel, Mary-Hélène Prémont, Chrissy Redden, and Alison Sidor. While there is deep reflection in our discussion, really insightful stuff, Jackson is still having fun. Remember the Hawaiian shirt she wore at cyclocross races? We get into that, and possible sartorial options for this year's cyclocross season. So have a listen to the ever-insightful Jen Jackson. Jen Jackson, recently you raced at the Cross Country World Cup in Lenzerheide, Switzerland. There were a few challenging circumstances for you before that race, but before we talk about those, what went well for you in that event? I I had a good start. Stayed out of trouble, which is always one of the key things, especially when you're starting mid-pack, is it's just like getting that initial race start stress out of the way and being able to get off cleanly. So it's a good start as far as World Cups go, because it's a nice like wide paved climb, so you're able to it doesn't get too messy. And I stayed on my bike the whole race. That's more than I can say than in training. So technically I feel like I rode pretty well throughout it. It's, it, they changed the course slightly and added one more switchback climb, which I think made it a lot more challenging. But yeah, I think I kind of held it together in terms of like mentally and emotionally better than I had been in other races this year. You mentioned staying on the bike. Um, that's in sort of reference to a crash you had in training. Can you tell me about what happened there uh, in the lead up to Lenzerheide? Yeah, so <laughs> it was, uh, I think it was on the Tuesday or Wednesday. I was doing some course recon and there's the one big white rock 
on the course. I think it's pretty iconic. People would, who have watched the race would know which one I'm talking about. And they'd modified it slightly from the previous year. I think they'd actually like taken out some sections of the rock like manually. So their, the lines were a little bit different. And I was just trying one where you kind of come up over the spine, like over the high point of it, and then come down on the backside. Then there's a ramp. And I came at it and like just had a little bit too much speed. And when I was at the top and just went to push my wheel down, kind of it came off the side. And then I was hit the edge of the ramp and did not make the rest of the ramp. And I just came off the side of the ramp and it's a pretty long ways down. I don't like to say that I'm, it's a good thing to crash well, but I think I crashed pretty well because it was not, um, yeah, it was not a, a short ways down from there. Ooh. And so you were rattled, but uh, still able to, to train and race and get ready for Lenzerheide? Yeah, I was a little bit sore. It felt like kind of I rolled it off, which I think is probably the best way to fall <laughs> in ways like that. But I, I had it felt like my arm had been really yanked, so I kind of had some I had some sore ribs, and my right side was just not really well supported. And I had I definitely nursed it with some Advil and taping. But we had good team staff there. Massage therapist was able to kind of tape me up, <laughs> hold me together through the weekend. So by race day, I don't, I don't feel like it really affected me, but I was definitely just a little bit more tentative and I didn't retry that feature. I just rode the beeline. I didn't want to, I think that I didn't want to scare myself anymore. I haven't, I haven't crashed like that in so long. So it was pretty alarming. You shared that information on social media and recently you shared some other information, like uh, that your grandmother had passed, and, and that actually happened just before Worlds. And you even spoke about the feeling that your performance has plateaued. When you started out as an athlete, did you ever think that part of your career would involve you sharing such personal information? No, I think that well, I, it's hard to decide what you share, because I think part of social media and like being an athlete and is is about being personal and you know letting people kind of being authentic requires you know some personal insights as well and with like my grandmother passing away I wasn't really sure if that was something I really wanted or even needed to share but I kind of it's not like I feel like my personality on social media is very my life on the bike oriented, which is certainly probably what most of my life is. But then there's these other parts that just fit in elsewhere. So I, yeah, I guess I kind of loop that into the bigger statement I was making about just feeling just challenged to like be in the right space and to be having things together and the right motivation and headspace to race in the last few weeks. Um, obviously being emotionally drained from my grandmother passing away and then just, you know, struggling a little bit with the technical confidence after having a bit of a unexpected crash and just the long season. Um, yeah, it's kind of, it's interesting because you feel like sometimes these things come off as excuses for why you're not doing well, but I think it, stepping past that and realizing that I'm not trying to excuse my results. I'm just trying to explain to myself and just share that explanation with others why perhaps I'm not seeing better results or not performing at a level that I had hoped to or feel like I've worked to have results at. 
And yeah, <laughs> I guess that kind of answers your question. It does. And and these are tricky things because like as you were sort of exploring that that those two elements of like there's your on bike life, there's your off bike life, you can sort of keep them separate in a in a public persona, but they both affect one another and oh, yeah. and uh yeah, I guess this does reveal that that intersection which is legit it's like a legit crossing over of these two worlds yeah and it's so hard to quantify really what emotional energy is worth in just your headspace like i didn't think that it would it had bothered me that much but i think because i feel like i was able to like hold the two separate and be very focused on the racing but just the overall energy it just took away from my excitement of being at the races because i felt like i should be home with my family so yeah that was tough i also want to talk about your long season uh that you mentioned you are one of the the busier racers in the mountain bike scene i'm just looking at elite canadian women um was that by design or did you just fall into such a busy 12 months? Because I was looking back, you've done, I think, seven World Cups since uh, September 2020. There were two World Championships. There's a handful of um, Aura Class and C1s, C2s. Um, yeah, can you tell me about that busy schedule? <laughs> yeah, well, this year, with um, the, there are still like pretty strict strict restrictions coming back to Canada um, for having to quarantine after being abroad. So when we went over in the spring, the plan became just to stay there from the first World Cups of the year until midsummer in Leger. Initially, I had just thought that I would go for the first two, but it was actually in a conversation with Sandra when I was humming and hawing over, I don't know if it's good to do such a long trip or if I should just, you know, skip a couple of the middle mid-season World Cups. And she just said, well, what are you skipping them for? What else are you going to do? <laughs> and it was kind of profound because I was like, well, I guess I would, you know, just go to work and, you know, kind of train and stuff. She's like, well, what are you training for? I'm like, well, to, to race, right? <laughs> and it was just one of those very profound but simple things that just she pointed out to me and I ended up doing that whole trip with Sandra and that was fantastic it was I think it like have being on the road for so long you need to have you know you kind of have your family abroad so Sandra and I were together the whole time and Catherine and Keith and little Dara were not far away for most of the time too I, I like how uh, Sandra Walter did this sort of Socratic slash Jedi mind trick on you to, to keep you in Europe. Yeah. I need a travel partner. You must come. <laughs> That's There might have been that too, right? Um, I want to get into that support network of Sandra Walter, Catherine Pendrell, Keith Wilson in a, in a little bit, and Dara, of course, the new addition to the team. But uh, going back to... Um, that recent posting on social media, you mentioned plateauing. You got into the sport of cycling um, kind of late-ish, we'll say, but um, you saw a, a quick progression right off the bat. How are you now looking at this quote-unquote plateau, and uh, how are you trying to address it, maybe? Well, I don't know. I was hoping someone could answer that for me. <laughs> 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 I think when, like so my first World Cup season was 2019 
And that had been like in 2018, I'd raced the Canada Cup. Um, so my results now, I guess, inter- numerically are pretty much the same. I'm like, a, would say I'm a solid 30s rider at the World Cup. Like if you look at my UCI profile, I am always in the 30s, which, you know, I think is really a, like quite good because most people who go to the World Cup, you know, would be super, super psyched to get that. But I think there's just such a lot, like a standard where Canadian women and people I, you know, have ridden with and look up to have, you know, a history of doing so much better than that, that I want to progress and kind of help take up that mantle for the country. And yeah, I think that initially when I came to the World Cup, so maybe I took it a little bit for granted how well it went for me, being able to jump in the first time and, you know, be already at that level. But I think my experience from skiing kind of, I was more ready to just show up and I was already physically at the level where I could perform there. And I just going forward need to keep tuning up the engine, but then also find a place where I'm still super excited to discover what, you know, kind of discover what it takes to be, you know, maybe a top 20 rider and what beyond just my day-to-day training I need to do to make that happen. So yeah, it's, it's tricky though, because, you know, you feel like you're doing the best training and then also I'm going over and I'm committing to being in Europe for like two, three, almost three months this year and the results didn't progress at all. So I'm kind of of the mind that maybe these longer trips aren't as good for me. I kind of, the excitement of being there wears off with the kind of duration of time. So with traveling opening up a bit more, maybe I just need to be a little bit more targeted with the racing because I really do enjoy time at home as well. Like I like being at the bike shop working and being able to interact with people in the cycling community that aren't racers all the time. I mean, I love my, like my race team and my race family, but there's just a different type of stoke for cycling that you find outside of the racing scene that I kind of miss sometimes. You mentioned mid-30s rider, but there's another way to cut those numbers or look at those numbers. I think the last time I checked, you were the, the second highest ranked Canadian in the, in, the, in the world ranking after Catherine Pendrell. So there's another way of looking at, at the time you've spent in Europe and, uh, and gaining experience and points, it seems. Yeah, I'm holding that second spot down, which is, which is, it's pretty cool. It's pretty cool, but I don't think, I mean, it's cool that I'm the second ranked as the second Canadian. I've consistently been at the World Cups, kind of like the second or third rider, but I honestly don't want to be the second best Canadian if I'm, if I'm in the thirties. Like I, I don't know. I just feel like as a nation that we can be, that we have such a history and we've been so much better than that. Like this year, I mean, we have one more weekend in snowshoe, but this year, if someone doesn't podium in snowshoe will be the first year a Canadian woman has not podiumed at a World Cup since the inception of the Mountain Bike World Cup, hmm. which is kind of scary. I exclude last year because last year there's only two races, but right. that's kind of insane. Interesting. I never thought of the, the weight of history riding heavy on the riders like that but uh, I guess there it is I don't know maybe it's just me but (laughs) I just I have like a lot of national pride and I really like when I got asked to do the relay this year I was so excited like I get so fired up for racing relays and just 
yeah, like being able to race like for the national team, especially when I was a junior and skiing, that was like my all time goal. And I know I didn't get to do that until a bit later. So yeah, and I have a lot of pride for racing for Canada. And like, I know it's not on me alone to be responsible for the results and like holding up a nation. I don't know if I'm necessarily will ever be that person, but yeah, you kind of like when you're part of it, you kind of, you want to do your part as well. And I just feel like I got to be better than 30th if I want to kind of pull the weight here for the team. (laughs) Weight of the nation. Yeah. I'm probably just imagining this. Everyone's so excited for us, but I do feel like we're in a bit of a tough spot. Like developmentally, we don't have kind of the leaders on the results sheet at the elite level that we've had in the past. Are we in a transition phase? I suppose so. I mean, really, if you look at it on the women's side, at least like Catherine and Emily have carried the women's program for the better part of a decade. Haley stepped up and had some really strong results in 2018, 2019. But we've had two riders for a decade who have held it down for us and no one else has really stepped up and stayed there. So it is tricky. And I don't know if that's like a systematic thing or if it's just a cultural shift and like more athletes going to gravity oriented sports. I know we have like some serious talent doing enduro and downhill right now, but yeah, I think about this all the time, but I do have no answers. In late June, you landed on your first podium at an ore class race, fourth at the Swiss Bike Cup event in Granikin. Now, the season is still going, as you mentioned. Um, we're speaking ahead of Snowshoe. But uh, is that podium in Granikin um, a high point? Or is there some other race with more significance to you? I think that's the best race that I did. That one or the weekend after in France was, I think, two of the best races I had this year. It's interesting. I think those came at, um, they both came at non-World Cup venues and just, I would contrast those, both of those courses to World Cups as being less, you know, kind of a dramatic, up a dramatic ski hill and down. It's much more undulating, punchier terrain and just generally like higher speed courses, which I think favored me a little bit. But yeah, just to race at those HC races in Switzerland and France was it was super, super cool because that's like the equivalent of a Canada Cup that we would host here. Just over in Europe, the fields are so much bigger. Like at the French Cup, I think the elite under 23 women's field was like 80 or 90 riders. It was absolutely insane. And say like 20 or 30 of them were international, but there's like just so many people racing cross country in those countries. And then the people at the top are the ones who are, you know, top tens at the World Cup as well. So. Yeah, that race in Granikin was like, I was surprised, but super excited because I was like looking at the people on the podium with me and I'm like, dang, they're like on World Cup podiums. And certainly the circumstances in the course favored me a little bit more to them and they're focusing on the World Cups, but I was like, I'm going to pin it at this race. Yeah, it was cool. And I think I would like to do more of those races in the future because it's fun to be able to be competitive and compete at the front of a race. You know, racing World Cups is amazing and it's like the pinnacle of, you know, cross-country mountain biking. But these, these like na- national series races are super competitive and also super fun. You, you contrasted those races with the Canada Cup. 
Another contrast I'm hoping you can delve into is racing in Europe right now versus what we see at home. Like you see crowds in Europe. What What's it like being surrounded by crowds once again? I guess that the World Cups, the really the first, like in Val de Sole was probably the first time we had like real crowds at the races. There was like a trickle of people at the ones earlier in the summer, but like you probably saw videos, they were out in force in Val de Sole and oh, it's it's super cool. Like I don't think that I really missed like, or it didn't bother me that there weren't fans at the other races, but it definitely adds to the atmosphere. Like I really enjoy being at the World Cups, especially when the downhill teams are there. It just feels like a, a big event. When there's the crowds, you can kind of, after your race or around the races, kind of disappear into the crowds. And I just, I'm a big fan of cycling. So I like walking around the pits and kind of like just spying what the techs are doing and what kind of interesting things you might see on bikes and watching the downhill is super fun too they're just like a different breed of athletes but it's super super interesting to watch them compete as well you are in the midst of your second season with norco how has support from norco and the team helped you i mean we're in the pandemic and getting bike parts for anyone is hard so certainly (laughs) being part of the team has has helped it's not uh without challenges for the team even with equipment but being able to have you know like reliable support at the races and knowing that there's going to be sealant at the tent if you flatted so you could go get that taken care of and you don't need to like personally stress quite as much about taking care of those things it definitely takes the the load off for when you can go to the races so i know that when i you know, if I show up to the race and I want to warm up on a trainer instead of on the road, if the weather's bad, I know I can go to the team tent and they'll have a trainer there that I can use. You just know that someone's always going to be able to be there to give your bike a check over before the race, you know, take care of you in the pits. So that's been pretty awesome. Like the team this year is pretty big and I haven't been traveling with the team all season, but just being able to have the team there and like you know kind of the door is always open so to speak if you need a hand has has been pretty awesome last year you relocated for a while to Kamloops BC from your home in Horseshoe Valley Ontario how off the cuff was that move because as i understand it Catherine Pendrel had said to you you know if you're ever in town drop me a line how did you find yourself in town in Kamloops last year it was a pretty pretty quick decision to go out there. So yeah, I guess about May time 2020, I was not sure what I was doing with my life, as many people were kind of in the pandemic. And I was just feeling that as a racer and as a person that I wanted some change. And Catherine had, you know, kind of joked that you got to come to BC and spend some time out here after we'd raced and traveled a bit together the year prior. So I was, you know, looking at job postings at different bike shops out west and saw that there's a couple shops in Kamloops that were hiring. So I applied and I think like that day, uh, the owners, uh, Paul Berry, got back to me like right away and was like, can I give you a call? I'd love to have you out here. So I like think I applied for the job, did a phone interview the next day. And they were so desperate and like so would, were so excited to have someone applying for the job with some experience that they offered me the job. And so I called Catherine later that afternoon and was like, so you know how you said if I ever wanted to come to Kamloops that 
I could stay at your place for a bit. Well, if I came out, you know, in next week, could I stay for the summer? And she kind of laughed and she's like, just let me ask Keith. I think it'll be okay. And sure enough, it worked out. I, she said, said, yeah, for sure. And so anyways, I called the shop back. I'm like, yeah, I, I've got a place to stay. I can come out. Like, I can start next week. I had like three days. I packed up my stuff here, got in the car and drove from here out to BC in three days. And then, yeah, spent the summer there and it was unreal. It's been unreal. Still kind of, that's where I'm paying rent right now, but home is still Horseshoe Valley. And yeah, I kind of feel like just a vagrant on the road, but Kamloops has treated me so well. It's now like a second, second home there. What is it about Kamloops that uh, sort of has, uh, you know, kept you coming back there, or made you now a renter in, in Kamloops and kept some of your connections there? I think getting like the, the bike shop really, like Catherine and Keith for sure, like enabled, like, you know, with them inviting me out there, uh, enabled this all to happen. But just being able to drop into a town where you, I know, I, I know two people, and then start working at a bike shop where every single person there loves the same things you do about the sport. And they, you know, they live and breathe bikes that you suddenly you have 10, 12 people that you work with that are all good friends. And then you meet more people from there and you can just show up every day and your community grows so quick when you work at a shop. You know, it's not that everyone there is going to be your best friend, but everyone there is someone you could go ride with or someone you can talk about bikes with, which I don't know. I love racing bikes. I love training and I just love bikes, like the technical side of it so much that I think I could drop into almost any town and feel this way, but it just worked out in Kamloops that through Spoke, there's also kind of the endurance community, like Paul, who I mentioned, one of the owners, like he used to race some roads. So I'm able to go out and ride with him and then have some other training partners in town too. Yeah, the people are absolutely phenomenal and they've been super supportive of me racing so I can kind of have the job and then come back to it even when I disappear for a couple months. Um, But then also just the trails are, are unreal. Like moving from Ontario, like here in Horseshoe, the trails here are probably the best in the province, but being able to move out west and just be exposed to so much new terrain and new trails has been, I think, awesome for my just confidence as a rider. I don't feel, when I go back to the World Cups this season, I didn't feel intimidated, except for maybe this one big rock in Lenzerheide now. <laughs> I don't feel intimidated about the courses. So yeah, I think that's just the factor of seeing more trails, seeing steeper terrain, doing bigger climbs. And just being able to explore more on my bike, just the world and riding got a little bit bigger for me. What was it like riding there this past summer as forest fires were were raging not so far away? Well, there wasn't a lot of riding. I spent a lot of time in Watopia, unfortunately, leading up to these last, like the World Championships and World Cups. So yeah, it was it was actually a really enlightening experience though. I I'm aware that forest fires are like a growing issue um with global warming and there's more fires and the fires are worse and it's just harder for them to manage, but I've never lived through that. I hadn't realized how much of an impact it has on 
the communities and your physical health in terms of air quality and like respiratory health, but also like your mental health and well-being. Like it's very depressing when, you know, you have a week or two weeks where you really can't go outside because it just hurts to breathe. And, you know, this, you know, I was super motivated through like August getting ready for Worlds that I was like, you know, committed to getting the best training I could do done. And doing a lot of that on the trainer or driving, you know, two to three hours out of town to train. But I think it maybe that also took more of a toll on me and like the cost of doing that training was higher. I wasn't just like excited to go out and get it done. It was more of a mission. So maybe that was also part of why I felt a little bit stuck at Worlds and Lens or Hyde. But again, I'd made the choice to go back there. I was committed to working for that month and I maybe in the in the future would you know, I'll reevaluate what uh, my commitments are through the summer, according to fires and just like conditions. But normally the trails are awesome. I've heard the fires have stopped now and things are running great. So hopefully I can get back there this fall before the snow flies. You've mentioned uh, your connections with Catherine Pendrell, her husband, Keith Wilson, and also uh, Sandra Walter, who you uh, spent time with in Europe. Can you tell me about that network and uh, what what it's given you or how it's helped you in your development as a rider? I think I'm super lucky to kind of come into mountain biking. And I guess in 2019, I made my first national team projects and Catherine and Sandra were both also being supported by the national team at the time. So they're so open and easygoing that you know, it's kind of like, hey, can I pre-ride with you guys? Like, would you mind? And they're like, oh, yeah, of course. So just through that, I started, you know, riding with them more. And I think, I mean, it was certainly benefited me immensely having people who were so comfortable and familiar with racing World Cups that I think that it helped my learning that season as well a ton. And I think maybe for them that (laughs) gave them kind of a little bit of new perspective too to ride with someone different. But yeah, they've been I mean, you know, like I said before, they've been holding it down for Canada for for years. So I have so much respect for not only the level that they compete at, but like the, the amount of time they have invested and committed to the sport and themselves. And I just, you know, I wonder like, how, okay, how do they, because I'm struggling with like, how do I stay motivated through one season? And here they are like, Sandra did her first like world championships in like, I don't know, like the nineties or something. I'm like, she's been doing this for like almost as long as I've been alive. And (laughs) we kind of joke now that, you know, they're the most senior riders in the field, but they're also still the best Canadians. And it's like, well, they've definitely got something figured out. That's for sure. I can't piece it, piece together what exactly it is, but yeah, as riders, they're amazing. But then they're also just very fun to be around. They're my favorite riders. That's what our group chat is called, favorite riders and the little Canadian flag. So yeah, they're just, they're super fun to be around and they help me kind of keep perspective on where I'm at for sure. You've mentioned cross-country skiing and that was your, let's call it your first sporting career. Can you tell me about the role that that sport still has in your life? Yeah, absolutely. So I still, like over this past winter, I skied from November until end of February into March. And that was the majority of my base miles was on skis on snow over the winter. So 
up until 2017, I was racing at like a national kind of fledging international level as an under 23. So I I gave up racing that year, but I certainly still love skiing. I just don't want to race as a skier anymore. So I, yeah, I spend a lot of time on snow in the winter and I think it enables me to really, I can still get the quality of training in that I need in the base miles, but it gives me a degree of separation from just being on the bike all the time. And I think it also, it, it, it it's a good way to increase the the breadth, like kind of you have a certain depth of fitness that you can get from cycling, but by adding different modalities, I think you can get a wider breadth. So you can just have your heart and lungs don't know what your arms and legs are doing. And the goal is to become an extremely efficient cyclist. So, you know, there's diminishing returns on the time you spend on the bike. So by being able to get off the bike, spend some time on skis, enjoy being outside in the winter, enjoy winter, not feeling like you have to flee to go somewhere warm or go somewhere where you can ride all year, I think is super beneficial. And then it gives you the opportunity to develop fitness in a different way. And then in, like look forward to getting on the bike more as opposed to feeling like you have to get on the bike year round. Why did you leave elite level cross-country skiing? It was a bit of a gradual process. I think I would just sum it up as burnout in some burnout, but it was also a realization that I think I wasn't going to be, or I didn't believe I could be as good as I had dreamed of throughout the process of growing up and kind of, you know, moving through my junior and under 23 years. Certainly when I started cross-country skiing at the National Training Center in 2013, my goal was to go to the 2018 Olympics. Like that was, I was going to be 23 at the time. I was like, I've got, you know, four and a half years to get there. This is my goal. And I think that being so goal oriented was a bit of my downfall because I, I didn't check off some of the boxes as a junior that I really felt that were a level that I needed to achieve. But then as I moved into under 23, I was starting to see a little bit more progress and was able to compete internationally at world under 23 champs. But actually going to those races and competing. Um, it just wasn't what I thought it would be. And it didn't make me feel how I thought I ought to feel. I was super proud to have made those teams and to be racing for Canada, but I just didn't feel like I was going to be as good as I wanted to be at it. I saw the level and it didn't inspire me to be better. I think it in kind of, it scared me how much farther I had to go. And I just don't think I could reconcile that and turn it into motivation. So I went down a path of questioning why I'm doing this, what I'm doing wrong. Why, why are we not nearly as good as we need to be as a nation? I guess there's some parallels here between what I'm going through now and what I had gone through then. So um, yeah, and then I, I think I put a lot of pressure on myself, which didn't amount to anything. So then I decided that I was going to you know, give up racing. I still love skiing, but I wanted to stop. I didn't want to race anymore. It didn't feel worth it to me. And then I kind of stumbled into cycling through working at the bike shop here in Barrie. The racing there kind of took on a new life. I was excited to be a beginner again. And I was, I didn't feel like I was pigeonholed into a results sheet or into a tier on a team anymore. And so was there, knowing what you know from cross-country skiing, 
Have you changed anything with your approach to mountain biking? I try to, but I think we're creatures of habit and I may be, fall, I may be falling into some of the same traps that I did as a younger skier, kind of going through the similar stage of my career now. So maybe I should take some time to reflect on more what I went through then and re- relearn the lessons before, uh, before I get too down on myself. But um, yeah, it's super interesting being in cycling now and feeling like I'd already had a career in skiing, even though I was pretty young, like I only finished skiing when I was like 22 and started mountain biking when I was 23. So I think that I've have the perspective from there, I just need to reflect on it more and actually apply what I've learned and know as opposed to just kind of it's easy to see something and just nod, but then not actually act on it. So like I know I'm surrounded by so many good people, as I was in skiing. I just need to make sure that I don't, it, it doesn't feel like too much. It doesn't feel just like work. And I think that's maybe what I've fallen into at the end of the season was I feel like there's certain level that I need to be at. And that takes the excitement and the fun out of being there and the experience away. Yeah. I think when I race my best, I'm just kind of having a good time and I'm grateful to be there. And i you know, had been actually talking with Michael Vandenham yesterday and we were chatting about just this and I was telling him that, yeah, like some of the best racing I ever did was, you know, in 2019 through that summer uh, mountain biking and then through the fall and cyclocross when we were racing together on the Easton team. And I think I was just so excited to be there and had really no expectations, only ambitions of throwing down and just leaving it all out there. So yeah, having chatted with him about that yesterday, I'm kind of trying to reset and get back to that place and be excited about the people I have around me and the opportunities I do have as cliche or trade as that might sound. But um, I know I've been there. So just about getting back to it. You've uh, mentioned a few times your experiences fixing bikes. You not only race them, you fix them. And that's sort of what led you to to racing the bikes. But um, how did you start wrenching? In yeah, 2016, I guess I just, I felt I needed a break and from being a full-time skier. I wanted to, I remember I wanted to be normal. Like I wanted to be a normal person, have a normal summer job. I didn't want to be a full-time athlete. That summer I was working five days a week, eight hours at Bikeland in Barrie. That's where I bought my first bike when I was like way, way back, like teeny little kid. So I just started working there. I honestly had knew nothing about bikes, but I just really liked them. I followed like a bit of road racing, but I just started there mostly kind of doing front end sales and a little bit of store stuff. And then they, you know, when there was a downtime, I would kind of help build some bikes just to keep the shelves full. And they're like, yeah, you're not too bad at this. You know, you have a bit of a technical aptitude here. So I, you know, just kept working away at it, practicing. And I worked there um, for a couple summers but it wasn't really until um, this past year when I moved out to Kamloops that I feel that I've progressed in my skills and like acquired enough experience um, working on bikes that I think I would be pretty confident saying that like I'm a professional bike mechanic and feel that I could apply for a job at just about any shop and feel pretty comfortable walking in there and being able to make a really positive contribution to the work environment. I really enjoy having the awareness and the ability to see the technical sides of bikes and 
I have to certainly, when I go to races, I take the step back and, you know, like, okay, I'm the athlete here, you know, let the mechanics do their job and appreciate that, you know, they are like the pro race mechanics, which is like another level of mechanic from just working at a shop. You know, they, these guys are like the absolute best and, you know, I know a few things, but I try not to <laughs> I try to keep my mouth shut around them and learn more than certainly learn a lot when I work with them uh, on my own bikes around races. So, Do you know when you'll be pulling on your shop apron once again? Uh, I mean, I've got to work on my own bikes for cyclocross this fall a little bit, kind of doing a freestyle program. Um, while I'm here in Barrie, I plan to drop into bike land for a few days, uh, not to like work work but just to kind of give back and help out for a few days while I'm here because Morgan's done so much for me in getting me started racing at Bikeland so I feel like I well I enjoy catching up with them there but be able to lend a hand so go in there for a little bit between my races and then uh yeah once the season wraps up I'm planning to get back to to working so I can save up for next season a little bit and uh we also do cross-country skis in the winter, so it's kind of the perfect place for me to be. I can help do some ski fits on people uh, in the winter and then also fix bikes. So, yeah, I couldn't be happier where I am right now. I'm glad you brought up cyclocross because that was my next question. I'm going to quote you back to you. This is from a feature profile Tara Nolan wrote about you for Canadian Cycling Magazine last year. You said, quote, Riding mountain bikes is fun but racing cross is the best, unquote. It's been a while since you've raced cyclocross. How, how do you feel about that? Oh, I, I, I still agree with that. Maybe because I haven't raced cross in so long, I don't kind of have that fresh taste of blood in my mouth for how hard it is. <laughs> but yeah, I haven't raced cross since uh, kind of the 2019-2020 season. So I did the couple at the start of 2020, but really 2019 was the last time I did a good kick at the can for cross so i'm planning to get back in this year i'm super excited but i'm also like it's been such a long mountain bike season i'm a little wary about how it'll actually go but like we were saying before i'm just trying to keep it super fun i know i love racing cross and i have no pressure going into racing this year i'm just doing my own thing uh brody sanderson and i are planning on going down to the world cups just He's a part of AWI Racing, my club. And yeah, I think just be able to go drop into these races and have a good time is going to be pretty, pretty awesome. So can you tell us which races exactly you have uh, in mind for this season? So the plan is finish up the mountain bike season with the World Cup in Snowshoe and then Mountain Bike Nationals for those next two weeks. And then I'll actually miss the opening couple UCI weekends of cross just with the mountain bike overlap. But I plan to, to do my first cross races down at in Waterloo at the Trek CX World Cup. I don't know the exact date, but it's the second weekend of October. And so do that, followed with the midweek World Cup down in Arkansas on the Wednesday, and then finish up with Jingle Cross that weekend. So it'll be busy. I'll go from not a lot of cross racing to a lot of cross racing real quick. Now, Jingle Cross, you were, I'm trying to remember, you won the C2 there a few in 2019? Yeah, first uh, UCI win. <laughs> no, first cross UCI win. Yeah. Right. So I guess 
I guess that sort of makes you a defending champ. <laughs> <laughs> oh, that's, uh, I'm not carrying any pressure from what happened way back when into these races. It is a whole nother world right now. I have no idea where anybody's at. And I guess I could say I wasn't really prepared at all for those ones. So I'm equally unprepared for these. When I was talking to Michael yesterday, I kind of joked that, yeah, I'm just going to cram like after mountain bike nationals, I'll have like 10 days to just cram cyclocross skills and go. He's like, he coaches uh, several people and he said, you know, I just literally just yesterday just told a client that he coaches that you can cram for tests, you can cram for this and that, but you cannot cram for cyclocross. So on his word, I may not be super prepared for these, but that's part of the fun of it. You just, the only way to go faster is to try harder. Nice, nice. You are known for baking cookies and handing them out at races. When was the last time you were able to do that? Oh, gosh, it's been a little while. COVID kind of killed the food sharing, to be honest. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, uh, gosh, maybe midsummer World Cups. I may have taken some to races. Maybe in Leo Gang, I think, was probably the last time. The Leo Gang World Cup, I took some because we were staying just across the road from the venue. I took some to the Norco pits since it was kind of muddy. They were hungry and working hard. So hopefully we can get back to it this fall. See, I need to find a new Hawaiian shirt too. I My old one that I had for 2019 is gone MIA. So maybe we'll have to get a new uniform for this season. Was that only for warm-ups, the Hawaiian shirt? Why that came about was we had a bit of an issue with getting team kit in time. I had one skin suit and no other team kit. So I got a Hawaiian shirt to pre-ride in because it was just like, if the kit doesn't show up, I'll race in a Hawaiian shirt. And then the kit didn't show up. So I bought a Hawaiian shirt <laughs> and I was just pre-riding in it because it's, you know, what I don't know. It's kind of goofy. It's, you know, it, it just plays off the the situation of our kit not showing up as just being kind of fun, but it kind of caught on. There's some other people who are like, oh, this fits the cyclocross vibe of just having a good time, doing something kind of goofy, but totally harmless. So it's pretty fun. I do like plaid or flannel, but it might be a bit hot is all. And then the AWI kit is actually plaid. So people may just get it a bit confused. So I'm not sure yet. Still got time to decide, I think. Got a few weeks. Or maybe you could pick up on what uh, our Olympians wore and, and get the old um, Kenora tuxedo out, the jean jacket or something. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Maybe I'll do that. Big Olympic fan. Maybe I should do that. Let's do it sleeveless, though. Do it like a vest. Well, there's a lot of good options here. For sure, for sure. I'm really stoked, actually, to see you racing cross because, um, you know, that also has a special place in my heart. And I hope it... Um, brings you the stoke again um and yeah the rest of your season goes well thank you and thank you for making this time thank you for this uh, extended chat and uh yeah best of luck oh yeah for sure thank you it's it's nice to chat about these things and sometimes i can see like when i'm telling these stories where i've been a little bit down but it, i think it does bring me up just having the conversations and realizing that i do still have positive energy for bike racing even when it's not going kind of how the dream dream was laid out so yeah i'm looking forward to this fall these world cups nationals and a bit of cross fun to wrap it up right on well thanks again cheers thank you 
And that's the episode. It's written and edited by me, Matthew Piaro. I had help from web editors Lily Hansen-Gillis and Terry McCall. If you are an Apple News Plus subscriber, you can find the Jen Jackson feature that appeared in Canadian Cycling Magazine that I mentioned during the interview. It's in the October-November 2020 edition, and it's written by Tara Nolan. The Canadian Cycling Magazine podcast is produced by Adam Killick. He composed the music, too. I might be borrowing Adam's cross-country bike soon. Thanks, Adam, and heal up. Thanks to Ontario Creates for its support. And thank you for listening. Please rate and review the show. Ride safely, and I'll talk to you later.